You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we survey the books of the Bible one book at a time. We are currently in the book of 2 Timothy, which implies that we have covered 1 Timothy. If you haven't heard our 1 Timothy podcast, go back, listen to that. Everything's on the website, the66.net. But of course, I'm doing things that we should do at the end of the podcast. But I'm Drew Kaiser, and I have with me Andrew Kingsley. And uh, we're swapping roles a little bit uh, to keep things interesting. Throughout the pastoral series that we're doing on Timothy and Titus, I've been doing the reading, and Andrew has kind of set back and allowed me to do that and thrown his usual good comments in. But we're going to turn it on its head, and he's going to do our... No, no. Uh, But he's going to do our reading today. If you're not familiar with our, our order, we... Uh, get a reading, and the reason we do that, I know sometimes it might be a little, um, what's the word, Andrew, a little, I'm trying not to say monotonous. I don't know. Monotonous. Yeah, sure. But, uh, you know, shame on you, this is the Bible, uh, listener. Right, yeah, that's y'all's problem, not ours. Yeah, but th- that's what we start with, because we we need to know what the Word of God says before we can discuss it, mm-hmm. and we try to put it in an outline, or, you know, sometimes the books are more narrative in form, so we... We tell the story, and we try to read as much as we have time to read so that you can hear God speaking instead of us. And then in the second part of the podcast, we think about, you know, some things like today there's some word studies that we might get into. Some interesting words are used uh, by Paul here. Uh, it's basically, as we've said before, whatever Drew and Andrew want to talk about. And then we try to wrap it up with lessons, and we haven't been giving ourselves enough time lately, Andrew, with the uh, apply section, so uh, maybe we can be better stewards of time this round. Yeah. It's doubtful, but we'll give it a shot. I want to turn the mic over to Andrew and let him walk us through Second Timothy chapter 2. Um, short chapter, but a lot of interesting stuff in it. Yeah, there's just 26 verses in the chapter, and there's a lot of things that if you've been following through the podcast from 1 Timothy and then listen to our first episode on this book last week, there's a lot of themes that are going to recur here, so we're in some pretty familiar territory. Uh, but there are going to be a few new things brought up. So for 2 Timothy chapter 2, the key verse is 2 verse 15, which is probably a verse that a lot of us know and have memorized, whether we realize we know it and have it memorized or not. But chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And like a lot of Paul's letters, we could divide this chapter up several different ways. There's a lot of thoughts brought up, a lot of issues brought up, and Paul goes through it in a, a, um, I guess, an orderly fashion, but there's a lot of ways you can make it have an orderly fashion because there's so many different themes that are connected. So what we want to look at for today, really quickly, is an outline of this chapter based on that key verse, based on a a worker approved, the approved worker of God. So the first thing that we're going to notice about the approved worker of God is that he is a hard worker, and that's in verses 3 through 13. And like we said, uh, actually in verse 1, there's a few familiar things. He calls Timothy his child, which we covered last week. I think we talked about that for a while. Um, And he tells him to be strengthened, and here's why. It's because he's going to be a hard worker. He gives us four examples of hard work. The first example is of a soldier in verse 3. 
share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlists him. Then he gives the example of an athlete in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, which is pretty timely because as we record this, we're talking about the Olympics and everybody hates Russia right now Yeah, because they were all suspended, especially that poor little swimmer. Did you see all that? (laughs) No, I didn't. I I knew there were several that were suspended or not allowed to begin, but were there scandals after the Olympics began? I don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah, but there's this girl, a Russian girl, who was basically kicked out for using, you know, performance enhancers. And then she appealed it and got back in. And then when the girl from the United States won the swimming race, mm-hmm. she was like staring her down and held up the number one. And then her interview, she was like, yeah, this is just a victory for clean athletes everywhere. Hmm. Yeah. So we're talking yeah. about athletes competing according to the rules. Right. Um, I mean, that's what I thought timely. of, too, because... Um, you know, a lot of times we'll connect athletes with uh, discipline, um, strength, yeah, maybe even courage. But, you know, it's not all that often that we think about how they're good examples in following rules. But yeah. It doesn't matter which sport you're in, you can't be an athlete and break the rules because every sport yeah. has an official, a referee, an umpire who knows the rule book backwards and forwards, or he is supposed to. According to a lot of college football fans, none of them know yeah. these things. But, uh, but all the fans know it. Yeah, yeah. Referees, commentators don't know it. But the fans, buddy, they you know, they It's know just it. a really interesting analogy to pull out of athletics. And Paul, he loves this, uh, this athletic terminology. You see it in a, lot of his, in a lot of his letters. So I found that interesting. Yeah. So we have here, so we got two examples so far. A soldier works hard. Uh, he doesn't get involved in civilian pursuits. He stays focused on the right thing, works hard to please his commanding officer. An athlete uh, works hard, competes according to the rules. In verse 6, we have a farmer. Uh, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So, actually, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul gives those same three examples. Um, he talks about a soldier, he talks about an athlete, um, and he talks about a farmer as well. And that's in mm-hmm. chapter 9, verse 7, and also verses 24 to 27 at the end talks about the okay. athlete. Yeah, um, it's not in the same order, right? Because the athletes last in First Corinthians right. 9. Yeah, not yeah. the same order. I never noticed that before. That's really Yeah, I hadn't either until uh, studying for this today. But they are so familiar themes in Paul's letters. And then the fourth and final example of hard work is Paul himself. And to show how hard he works, he's going to talk about his current situation, which we mentioned last week as being imprisoned in Rome. Uh, remember this starting in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So, first of all, a worker approved by God is a hard worker, like the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, and also Paul, who is enduring, as he says, 
Um, he endures everything for the sake of the elect, so he works hard. Uh, the next thing we want to know, do you have anything you want to add there? No, that's... Okay, I thought I was cutting you off. No, no. Uh, the next thing that, the big thing, I guess, and we want to make this as general as possible to make it easy. Uh, the next big thing that you see of a an approved worker is that he is set aside for good works. And this really covers verse 14 to the end of the chapter, but the key here is found in verse 20 and following. Verse 20, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So the worker that's approved is this kind of a worker who has cleansed himself from what is dishonorable. In verse 22, he tells Timothy to flee things that are dishonorable and to pursue things that are honorable. Um, but the idea is this is someone who's set apart by God for good works. Now, one of those good works is being able to teach. So this is a man who is set aside for a good work, and part of that good work is being able to teach. Verse 24 says this, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patient, patiently enduring evil. And if you back up to verses 1 and 2, here's how the chapter begins. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So when he says entrust this to faithful men, the idea is implied there, teach this to faithful men so that they can in turn teach others. Yeah. So make sure you're teaching it to other men who are approved, other men who are set apart. And this teaching involves a few different things. The first thing is the teacher has to be focused. Verse 14, Paul brings up something that he has brought up and covered extensively in 1 Timothy. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Skip down to verse 16. If, avoid irreverent babble, for it, it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Um, and he goes on to mention two guys by name. And then as we come down to verse 23. Oh, you're going to skip the names. Well, I don't want to get into the yeah. discussion on the pronunciation. How about this? Hymenaeus and Philetus? Is that right? Sounds good to me. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Philetus. How are we going to pronounce that? Um, okay, so we get down to verse... 20, where was I going with this? Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So a part of this being being set apart for teaching is to stay focused on the right kind of teachings. Mm -hmm. um, also, the teacher is to be kind and gentle. And this stands in a direct contrast to those false teachers that we spent so much time talking about, if you haven't listened to the podcast on First Timothy, go back and listen to it. There's a lot of repetition here, right? Yes. And that's that's why we're not, you know, focusing on that as much today. Is we've said a lot about this in First Timothy. I think there's more right. about it in First Timothy maybe than than in Second Timothy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's almost like it's assumed. You know that the con well certainly the context is understood or is assumed to be understood by Timothy from Paul as he's writing it because yeah. Timothy's living it. But as we've kind of seen 
we have kind of seen the situation at Ephesus where Timothy is and what's going on. Um, so he tells him in verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So the teacher has to be kind and gentle as opposed to this seemingly angry quarreling about things that don't really matter. And then finally, in the same vein as that, um, the worker who is approved by God must be patient in his teaching. Set aside for the good work of teaching, and that teaching must be done in a way that is focused, kind and gentle, and patient. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I actually should have backed up to verse 24 where he says, patiently enduring evil. But you see the reason why that the teacher is called to be able to be patient because it may lead to repentance. It may lead to the salvation of someone's soul. Um, And so that's a basic breakdown of chapter 2. You have an approved worker must be a hard worker and he is set aside for good works, especially that of teaching and the teaching must be focused, kind, gentle, and patient. Welcome back. We're glad that uh, you stayed this long. Um, congratulations. It's only We're... 13 minutes, though, so don't <laughs> don't get too proud of yourself. Yeah. Maybe like 14 after the after we drop the sound in. And and I know that there are some of you. Our church this quarter is putting these out as CDs. Yeah. And they have tracks dropped in, like there are three tracks. Read, okay. think, apply. And I know that some of you skip straight to track two. I know that's happening. Oh, and you're not listening sh- to the read. Shame on you. You missed a good one today. Yeah, boy. That was so funny what you said in track one. Yeah, this is probably the funniest thing we've ever said on the podcast. <laughs> uh, Which or in that the scheme of things is not very funny. There's not, yeah, there's not a whole lot of competition there. Yeah. Let's go to our key verse first. That was hard to say. Key verse first. There we um, go. Verse 15, man, this is one we've, if you've grown up in the church, you've known this your whole life, and it's the the text that tells us to study our Bibles. And the the King James Version that a lot of us cut our teeth on says, study to show thyself approved unto God. So we don't have that in this translation. Here it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And I've heard, uh, be, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God. I think that's the New American Standard Bible. A lot of different translations there. The the reason for that is back in 1611 when the King James translation was was made, study meant what the old folks in the South mean. You know, I studied how to do that. You know, I'm going to need to study that a while. Let me study Uh, on it. uh, Let me study on it. Uh, It was even broader than that. Study meant being diligent. And through the years, that English word study, this has nothing to do with the Greek, but the evolution of English words. But, you know, after several years, several centuries, the word study came to be applied only to academic, intellectual, 
things, reading and uh, trying to figure things out mentally and all the other usages of it dropped away. But it still works because the object that we're called upon to be diligent about is the Word of God, um, the Word of Truth, as Paul puts it in verse 15. Um, going along with what Andrew's outline showed us, uh, he is calling the person who studies to show himself approved to God, who studies the Word of God, he's calling him a worker, uh, which is something that I like to see because uh, I'm in a, you know, an occupation, Andrew is too, that is sometimes looked upon as not work. Yeah. I, you know, I honestly, nobody where we worship openly makes that comment. But I've heard people say it before. Like I've had people ask me, when I was a youth minister, Andrew, I had people ask me what I did for a living. People yeah. that I went to church with. And I was like, well, this, really? You know, people would be surprised by that. That's but they'd all also, you do? well, they'd be That's surprised at how much time and energy it takes to put a lesson together, yeah. um, and uh, to teach the lesson, and and so on. But I'm arguing a point here that I don't think a lot of people would disagree with. I want to get to the end of that in terms of you know what we can think about handling. Let's see, how's it put here? Rightly handling the word of truth. Now, going back to the King James that we all know and love, that translation says, rightly dividing the word of truth, or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So, uh, there is a slight difference, and neither one of these in English really spells out the literal meaning of the Greek word. The Greek word there that's used as an adverb means to cut straight. Mm -hmm. So, literally what he's saying here is, be a worker approved to God that does not need to be ashamed, cutting straight the word of truth. So what does that mean? That's obviously an idiom. It's not like uh, he's telling them to get scissors out and cut the pages of the word of God straight. Yeah. Um, several things have been postulated. That's the first time in my life I've ever used that word. I don't uh, know where it came from. Podcast is over. This yeah. is the smartest thing we're going to say the whole time. We might as well. Well, it, that's assuming that I use the word correctly. Uh, one one idea comes from, you know, he mentioned farming in verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. And this adverb we're talking about in verse 15, that means to cut straight, uh, has been used in farming contexts to yeah. talk about plowing a straight line, plowing a straight row. Uh, that's very important to do. So it takes, you know, a farmer who works with excellence and with, um, you know, perfection. I'm trying, I'm searching for the right word here, but a good farmer will work hard, not just to get the rows plowed, but to plow them with excellence in straight yeah. lines. Yeah. So as a worker in the Word of God, you need to do what the farmer does who cuts straight paths you need to apply yourself with diligence and excellence to do this job right. Don't be lazy about studying and preaching the Word of God. Yeah, I think we can gain a little insight into how that Greek word is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. Uh, so the word is found in Proverbs 3, 6, where it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. 
So it's okay. the same term used there, to be straight or to make straight, you know, used in a different... Yeah, and there it's how God will ease your journey through life, right? Because well, a crooked path, or it might have to do with just righteous paths. Maybe yeah, that's, that's... Maybe that's established paths, uh, yeah, good paths. Yeah, that's the trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So basically yeah. he will show you the correct way, whereas your own understanding will not show you the correct way. So there's kind of the so, idea of truth versus error, yeah. which is kind of brought out of here. And then it's again in Proverbs in 11 verse 5, which is exactly what you were just bringing up. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. So there's this contrast between mm-hmm. Truth and error, right and wrong, righteousness and wickedness, mm-hmm. brought up when it's used in the Septuagint um, to kind of you know to cut in the straight line to put in the right path. So when we bring it over here and we discuss it in Second Timothy, you know I think rightly dividing is a good way to mm-hmm. to explain it. Or yeah, I think we'd be okay so, translating as you know teach correctly or yeah. teach soundly or teach like you said carefully. Exactly. Yeah. I think all of those adverbs go together into what this word means. There's there's another pretty good interpretation that what he's saying here is to teach with balance and study with balance and, and present the Word of God in a straightforward manner, which if that word carries the connotation of straight paths, as you've shown through the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and as uh, we've noticed from some lexicons, that's the original meaning. Then he could just be telling Timothy, don't get caught up in extremes. And he lists some of those extremes in this very chapter. But teach in a straightforward manner. Um, I also want to say one more thing about it. I've heard it applied this way. Um, so somebody might argue for um, some kind of practice that is supported in the Old Testament, but is not supported in the New Testament. And they'll say, well, I can do this because of Deuteronomy, whatever, you know, in the Old Testament. And yeah. then and then the argument coming back at that person would be, well, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we're to rightly divide the word of truth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so, you know, yeah. you stay in the New Testament and stay out of the Old Testament and anybody who gets out of gets things out of both, cherry picks out of both, is not dividing it in the right place. That is not the exact thing that Paul had in mind, um, which should be obvious because the New Testament was being written at the time that he said that. Yeah. When he's telling Timothy to go back to the scriptures, he may be talking about some of his letters, but certainly not the entire twenty-seven books of the New Testament. Some of them had not wouldn't be written for decades. Uh, he's saying some of the things we've been saying before. Now, it's not wrong to apply it that way. We just need to understand what it means first. It means to handle the Word with excellence, uh, do it right, yeah. uh, do it with diligence. Um, what are some of the other things? Is it? In a straightforward, yeah. balanced manner, correctly. Mm-hmm. And then doing that means that you know whether you're reading from the Old Covenant that's vanished away or the new covenant that is in effect today. Yeah. So that's a proper application. It's just not the specific thing Paul is saying. And if that's the only thing you think he's saying, you're shutting out a lot of other important applications that are included in what he's telling Timothy to do. Yeah, I think it's especially important to also consider 
the context that we are talking about. Paul is writing this to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, who is dealing with all these false teachers, teaching all these things about irreverent babbling, is what Paul mm-hmm. refers to it as, uh, basically arguing about nothing. He's telling Timothy, hey, you, and right before, actually right before he tells him to rightly divide the word of truth, what does he say right before that? Charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. You do your bre- do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So don't be like these other guys who are mishandling the word of truth, who are, you know, talking about and arguing about things that don't matter. You need to divide it and teach it correctly. Yeah, and balance. Hey, you know. we've got to. I'm really excited to get into this part of it. All right. Um, let's go ahead. So let's talk. Let's back up to verse 14 again. So one of the things that it says that you just read is, "Don't quarrel about words." Mm-hmm. What did he mean by that? Like you can a word never study, right? Like quarrel over the meaning of a particular word, or quarrel over the meaning of the word of God. It's words in the plural, and it doesn't say word yeah. of God. Um, and also, is another question I have is, is Paul saying that it's wrong to argue or debate the Word of God? Yeah, because I, th- well, I think that question naturally comes up because, well, I'm not saying, yeah, he is. Okay, I I'm thought just, you were, I was like, well. I'm just agreeing with. Be interesting. I'm uh, agreeing with the question. Now we're going to have our own debate. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm agreeing so a problem with the question. <laughs> Because he does say, you know, as you mentioned, verse twenty-four, the the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Yeah. Oh, there there are so many. Um, man, I you know he's talking about these two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Um, avoid the irreverent babble, as you said. Uh, and so and how then do you towards the end, the irreverent battle, babble. You have to, you have to, I guess, at some point, right. debate then, with them, right? Well, and then at the very end, uh, verse 25, he says that the Lord's servant, well, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, which is what we're trying to figure out right now. But, and so this is the opposite of quarrelsome, he should be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Yeah. So the first thing that I draw from that is whatever the quarreling about words is, it's something that is done with the wrong attitude. Yeah. Which could be, I want to win this argument, and I don't care if it's really what the Bible says or not. It could be just, you know, I know the right thing, and I'm getting very angry that people are disagreeing with me on this. You know, I'm right, they're wrong, there's no room for discussion. Uh, all talk and no listening, those kinds of things. And I think Paul is... He's saying this for many reasons, but one of the main reasons he's saying it is he cares about souls, he wants people to obey the truth, and he knows that people are not moved by quarrels and arguments and shouting and anger. They're won by, let's go back to it, verse 24, kindness, uh, competence, able to teach, patience, and gentleness. Yeah. That's, you know, the, the way you describe the hard work in the first segment of the lesson. Yeah. That's what wins people over. Now, if Paul were trying to win, you know, some kind of, if, if it was uh, 
quiz bowl or whatever, if it's some debate competition at a college, then maybe throw all of that out the window. Mm-hmm. So we come back to the question again, should we debate? And, you know, it doesn't happen all that often these days, but there was a time in, in our history where people debated everything. You know, they debated mm-hmm. um, baptism and the purpose for baptism. They debated uh, the existence of God. They debated all kinds of controversies. And, um, you know, maybe they were very successful, but I get the impression that uh, the people who attended the debate, uh, it was very rare for them to move from one side over to the other side, regardless of the uh, performance of their particular person who's up on the stage. Yeah, every whatever you believe, that's the guy who wins, right? Yeah, every I time. mean, it comes out. You can you can go read. We've had uh, friends debate pretty well known atheists over the last several years. Yeah, and uh, it's you know a little disheartening to get on and to see uh, the atheists say that their guy won and the Christians say that our guy won. Um, yeah. I think that those kinds of debates are helpful and instructive. Um, but if you're going to step into that situation, you be you better be prepared spiritually to keep your kindness, gentleness, patience, and the other one in gear. No. Competence. Keep that in control of you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us aren't able to do that. And it got to be that the debates of days past were so full of uh, cut downs and criticisms and rebukes that it just drove a wedge further in. Yeah. And that's not all there was to this story. I mean, um the same people were debating, you know, over over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um I've got a lot of old debate books which I really enjoy reading. Um they would they would go in and they would have mutual respect for each other for the most part. Mm-hmm. But the audience didn't necessarily know that and they would go to great pain some of them to make sure the audience knows that there's a a love, a mutual love between the two people debating. Um, But I guess guess what I'm saying is sometimes in the debates, the speakers know they're being, they know their boundaries with each other, but maybe the audience doesn't know, and they just see what they interpret as an argument for the argument's sake. Yeah, I guess there's a, a, a big underlying question to ask, whether it's a public debate between two you know, well-known figures who are very deeply opposed to one another, or whether it's just even two Christians in a church who are having a Bible study, and they're alone together, and they're debating something maybe they disagree on, or whether it's a Christian having a debate with somebody at work who's not a believer. The question is, I guess, what? Have, why am I doing this? You know, what am, yeah, I, motive. am I trying mm-hmm. to, because the focus of what, the focus of Paul's instruction to Timothy is that he has to be able to teach. If you want to teach somebody, you can't be quarrelsome. Winning an argument and teaching someone the truth are two very different right. things. Right. You can win an argument and totally lose any opportunity you will have for the rest of your life to reach somebody with the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, you can win the argument of, you know, uh, I don't know what what does this verse teach about rightly divide the word of truth. Let's say you and I got into it about what does divide the word of truth mean. I think it's mm-hmm. Old Testament, New Testament, you know, and you think it's the the proper interpretation that we arrived at a little while ago, and you know we just go back and forth, 
and you win the argument, but let's say you win that argument in such a way that displays no kindness, no gentleness. And what Paul tells Titus to do in his letter to Titus in chapter 2, verse 7, in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Now, if you try to teach me with those things, then I might disagree for now, but at the end of the day, you still have your influence. You can still teach me. But if you fly off the handle and disregard all those things and just scream to your red in the face and say, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, then you've lost the ability to now reach me. You've lost the ability to teach me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe you have won your argument, but... At you, what cost? Yeah, you've yeah. lost the person's soul. At the cost soul. of I don't soul. want to sound too cheesy. Uh, well, I know. I lose the soul, but... This, yeah, this is can. a really difficult um, situation because here, you know, let's say, again... Let's assume we're in a debate. So let's say the other person, we're sitting here saying you got to be careful with debates and um, arguments because, you know, they may get out of control. You may lose your cool, et cetera, et cetera. You may, you may lose a soul. And then the person on the other side of that would come to us and say, okay, so you're telling me that if you have an opportunity to correct somebody on what the Word of God says, you should just keep your mouth closed. And that's not what we're saying. Yeah. We're not even saying that debates are wrong. What we're saying, I guess, here it is, Andrew. I think this is the way I feel about it. All right. Is if you're going to be a part of an argument, casual conversation, a discussion, or a debate, no matter how formal or informal it is, you had better have your soul in check, your attitude in check, so that you're competent, kind, patient, and gentle. And if you yeah. can't express that, then maybe somebody else needs to do the argument. Yeah. Because Paul Call is telling Timothy can. not to do these things. Whatever the quarreling about words is, he's telling Timothy not to do it. Don't get involved in irreverent babble, whatever that is. He's telling him not to do something here. And I'm, you know, in the past I think I would enter into this discussion using all my time to talk about how he's not saying we shouldn't have debates. Yeah. And I think we need to listen to what he is saying, which is, you know, preach the word, teach the word, but do it in this way. Do it the way Christ did. Yeah. And don't seek glory for yourself through these engagements with the opponents. Yeah, we're not just trying to look smarter than the next guy. We're trying to teach someone how to be a disciple of Christ. Mm-hmm. And you can't teach someone to be loving. Like you can't teach somebody what we just read from Second Timothy. All right, now you need to be uh, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And you need to correct people with gentleness. And saying that, you cannot scream at somebody, you need to correct people with gentleness. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, who are you, you're not teaching me how to do that. I mean, you're telling me, but you're not. Right. You know, you're obviously not exhibiting that. So I think... Good things to think about. We don't need to be afraid to teach, to point out error, because that's exactly what he tells Timothy to do, is to point out the error of these people, to correct them. But he tells him to do it with gentleness. He tells him to do it with kindness. And something just occurred to me. Um, you know, we saw in First Timothy 3 that elders are to be able to teach. We see this phrase again here with regard to the preacher. He needs to yeah. be able to teach. 
maybe that means more than just your study prep and your oh, yeah. knowledge. Maybe it also has to do with your attitude. Yeah, teaching so ability has a lot to do yeah. with influence, right? Right, your influence, that's yeah. maybe a third thing. Your influence, yeah. your knowledge, and your attitude. And I think people are intimidated yeah. by teaching because of the the intellectual side of it. Well, I'm afraid I don't know enough. Or I'm afraid I won't have enough scripture references and not worried enough about had have they prepared their heart. You remember the yeah. Ezra podcast when we were talking about Ezra 7.10? He had prepared his heart to study the Word and oh, to teach yeah. it. You know, yeah, Ezra yeah. was a good example of what kind of teacher it ought, uh, we ought to be. Yeah. Um, okay, do we want to get into the really tough stuff in this? Uh, Go right ahead. All right, so in verse 25, uh, he says that, talking about this servant of the Lord, uh, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So there are two questions I have about that. The first is, does repentance come by the grace of God as a gift that you have nothing to do with? And the second question is, does repentance come before or after learning? Because, he, first of all, he says, you know, God grants them repentance. And then he says the repentance leads to a knowledge of the truth. Yeah. So this is very difficult. And the only way that I can answer it is to put it in the context of other passages of Scripture. For example, he can't be saying, that we have no role in the act of repentance. Why can't he right. be saying that? Because on other occasions, Paul and, and others are calling for people to repent. I mean, that was the first gospel sermon, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Yeah, it's even in this chapter, verse 11. If we have died with them, we also live with them. That's repentance, right? Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily say who did the, you know, who who granted the repentance. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But then, you know, there's Acts 8, 22, where Simon the sorcerer sins, and Peter says, repent and pray. So he's telling him, he's not praying to God, God, please give Simon repentance. He's telling Simon, repent and pray. And yep. Luke 13, 3, Jesus himself said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So he said, you, not unless God grants you repentance, you will all likewise perish. So I believe that Paul is speaking with much respect for God and how God allows this repentance to take place, leading us to a knowledge of the truth. And I think the knowledge of the truth thing may, may be an ex experiential, if that's a word, knowledge, where you experience um, the truth, yeah. which you can only do after you repent. I mean, you can't you can't stay in sin and know what a life of truth is, a life lived according to the truth is. You first repent, and then you're able to know what that life is like because you're living it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, it's a difficult passage. Yeah. But we know we know what it doesn't mean from some of those other verses, and there are many, many more. But yeah, I think it's. You know, and you can tell me if I'm too far off base with this, but if we think of granting repentance in the term in terms of allowing repentance, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, because you think when all of us repent, you know, we're basically begging God to forgive our to forgive our sins. A second right? chance. Yeah. yeah. So it's and kinda... he he could he could totally not do that. He could yeah. just say you got one shot, and when you sin, it's all over. Yeah. But that's not what a gracious God does. He stands at the door and knocks. He waits for us. He gives us he he doesn't want anyone to perish but all to reach repentance. Second Peter chapter three verse nine. Yeah. So right. you know, and, and you can tell me this is too far of a stretch, but I think it what we're reading here is definitely not God may control their minds and make them repent. Um you know, or, kind of this yeah, irresistible make... grace that we're talking about. But God may, you know, if they want to turn and they repent, God may perhaps allow them to repent, you know, God may perhaps accept their repentance almost. Um, and maybe, yeah, uh, this may be what you're saying. Maybe it involves a lot of providence. Maybe somebody has an opportunity through providence to repent. Maybe yeah. he lives long enough to to do this. Uh, we have to be very yeah, careful not to think about that. read between the lines here things that Paul never meant to say. I guess that's why I wanted to talk about it is, you know, it's a difficult verse. What what exactly is Paul saying? And yeah. we have to keep it in the context, not only of Second Timothy, but the entire Bible. Let me ask you what you think of this quote. I got a quote here. It's kind of what I just based my comments off of. Michael Moss, his commentary on this. Repentance here is seen as the gift of God, resulting in their coming to a knowledge of the truth. This does not deny human decision in repentance, but rather points to the fact that even our repentance is rooted in God's grace and the opportunities granted by God. Well, okay, mentioned opportunities, and perhaps he's talking about providence there, but it was really vague. Yeah. I mean, it, it was an ex- he did an excellent job of saying just enough, but... If somebody had a question over this, I don't think it's answered by that. With his, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's a it's a hard. I don't fault him for that. It's it's a difficult passage, and sometimes it's best it for us to say, it just, you know, what did Paul mean by that? Well, what he meant was that God may grant them repentance. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that God may perhaps grant them repentance. Yeah. Um, Might grant their. I, I don't know. But the good thing to note is what you mentioned earlier is this is what it does not mean. Yeah. You know, you can rule some things out. Yeah. Interpret the difficult parts of the Bible using the easy-to-understand parts of the Bible. Yeah, using what you That's do That's the know. first step. Yeah. You do know we have free will, and you do know we can fall away, and you do know we can, if we if we come to God and we decide to go away from Him and we want to come back, that we can't. Yeah. We do know that. So. All right, so we need to take a break here, according to the time. Do you want Yeah, to... I need a break. All right, all right, let's stop right here. We're going to save our time for uh, application, so uh, we will be right back. Let's look at uh, some of these things. Uh, There's some great lessons here for us to apply. And I want to start in verse 9 
where Paul is talking about his suffering bound with chains as a criminal, and then he brings in this word of praise. He says, but the word of God is not bound. And that just makes me think of the power of God's word. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 talks about how it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, Other passages talk about how powerful it is. In Isaiah 55, uh, the prophet says that the word of the Lord will accomplish that which it uh, purposes. It will accomplish the thing for which it was sent. It always comes true. And so you can chain Paul up, but he's still getting the word out. And his he was preaching that word, I'm sure, until the bre- the last breath was out of his body. And yeah. so he's here. I mean, you can't be in a worse situation than Paul's in right here, in a dungeon, on death row, waiting his execution, and he's still getting the word out. Never, yeah. ever forget about how powerful the word of God is. I think we put way too much emphasis on our abilities. And we've talked a little bit about this when it comes to the idea of being able to teach. Mm-hmm. It's not our job to convert people. It's our job, and this is cliche, we say this all the time, but it's our job to preach the Word. Yeah. And then the Word will work on the soul or it won't, depending on the receptivity of the soul. Yeah. And if I, it's a great relief to me to know that it's the Word of God where the power is. Um, you know, yeah. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Yeah, no matter who teaches it to you, it still has this, you know, it's the story itself still has the same value. No mm-hmm. matter who, no matter who tells you, no matter where you mm-hmm. read it from, no matter if you read it out of a hard copy of a Bible or off an electronic version of the Bible. Yes. The story is the same. And, you know, uh, it gets stronger the more you chain up the messenger the more you try to kill the messengers history has shown that the word comes through clearer and clearer Yeah. Blaise Pascal said uh, I believe the witnesses who get their throats cut so you know if somebody's going to die for the word that just makes yeah. the word stronger because yeah. it must be true otherwise these people would not face the kind of dangers they're facing yeah Okay. I wanna, can I throw something yeah, in just kind of on the coattails of this? Not very long. But that Paul mentions, you know, that he's suffering bound with chains as a criminal. And we talked about this is about a, a worker approved by God, and that's a hard worker. Um, it is not, and this is cliche too, but we'll talk about it for a second. It's certainly not easy to be a disciple of Christ. You know, it's not something that you just, it's not a club that you join or this, that, and other, just for fun. Like right. Paul here is experiencing, he's in prison. Mm-hmm. And although he's bound, the Word of God is not bound. But there will be times in our lives, you know, where we are bound by something because as a direct result of our commitment to Christ. You know, maybe we're not thrown in prison, but there will be discomfort. You know, becoming and being a follower of Christ is not about our level of comfort. It's about making sure that the Word of God is not bound. You know, it's about doing our part. It's about doing our share of the work in evangelism, like you mentioned. Um, and the difficulty might not be an indicator. A lot of times I think we like to think of, you know, almost like Job's friends or if we're messing up, you know, well, or something is going wrong, you must have messed up, right? What did I do to deserve this? Mm-hmm. And Paul doesn't say, what did I do to deserve this? He actually views his imprisonment 
you know, almost as in terms of his success. Yeah, he's taking you advantage know. of of any opportunity, whether it's prison or freedom. Yeah, but he's he's using that to help his voice grow louder in the world. Yeah, and I think of Paul, and, and I think of you know, the fact that he got put in prison is not an indicator of an error on God's part, but it's an indicator of success. Yeah, on the impact that Paul's having on people around. So he had so much of an impact that he had to be put in prison to get him to stop. I mean, imagine yeah. if we were making that big of an impact where our government said, okay, well, we got to do something about these people because they're, they're talking to too many people, mm-hmm. they're influencing too many people, and they're causing problems. Well, it's like Acts chapter 8. Okay, so yeah. they stoned Stephen to death, and the church scattered from Jerusalem, and Luke says those that were scattered went about preaching the word. Yeah. And then I also think about what history has taught us. A lot of second and third century Christians were put to death for what they believed by the Roman government. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of conversions of pagans during that same time who later became apologists for the faith, for the Christian faith. And many of them said, um, I started to throw out names, but I don't want to get them wrong. Uh, You Mm -hmm. can look this up on the internet. Um, Many of them said that what made them rethink their positions and eventually what brought them to Christ was the willingness to suffer on the part of the Christians and how they could face death without fear. I think Justin Martyr uh, was one who said that. Yeah. Uh, let's get to another lesson. Um, this will be number two by my count. We may have thrown in yeah. about five in that last discussion. but The second big one. <laughs> yeah, the second big one is that quarreling about words, and we talked about what that means, mm-hmm. ruins hearers. And if you think that's a little extreme, let's reread verse 14, which has Paul telling Timothy to remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Uh, The Greek behind the word ruins is catastrophe. Did I say that right? Catastrophe. Catastrophe, which obviously you can hear the word catastrophe in that. So he's saying it's a catastrophe for you to quarrel about words, but not not just that. He's saying it is a cat- catastrophe for your hearers. Yeah. Uh, so be careful. People are listening. You can ruin their lives, their eternal lives, by turning mm-hmm. you know these these studies into quarrel, you know, contests of who's the best arguer. Yeah. Debater, whatever. And I think that gives us a good working definition for quarreling too. What is quarreling? Mm-hmm. Well. It's a conversation that gets so bad that it doesn't do any good, mm-hmm. and it only ruins the people who hear it. Yeah, and uh, this is what's great about going through the Bible one chapter at a time, or you know, one book mm-hmm. at a time. Is what we say, you know, we've got that trademark, so yeah. nobody try to use that. Right? Not really. Um, somebody else probably has it trademarked, and we're breaking copyright laws. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the reason we do that is we run into lessons that we would have never chosen personally, to to deliver, like this one. Quarreling yeah. about words ruins hearers. I would have never come up with that. And yep. I, But I do know a number of people, for instance, some people that I went to, through school with at uh, Fried Hardeman, studied Bible with. I know others, uh, you know, who have been ruined over quarreling about words instead of the preaching of the gospel. And then I know people who would say they're faithful, but all they ever want to do is quarrel about words. So they've ruined yeah. themselves. Real combative. 
yeah, by just becoming angry. I've heard preachers refer to themselves in as in a way that they think would impress people as controversialists. Now, what is that? Yeah. What are you saying when you say I'm a controversialist? Well, you know, I don't know. It seems dangerously close yeah. to what Paul is forbidding Timothy to do. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Paul, I guess Paul in some ways was, he wasn't a controversial list, which I guess means a person who likes to, in you know, spark controversy. Paul didn't, I mean, by his very nature, the things he taught sparked controversy, but it was his teaching. It wasn't him. Sparked, yeah. Like, he wasn't walking up. He was not going to the meeting of the Sanhedrin and walking in and saying, all right, guys, y'all are all condemned. Answer this. You guys, yeah. <laughs> Let me you ask think, you a question. Yeah. Now I use this question on everybody. Yeah, and nobody's been able to answer. <laughs> what voice are we doing? This is a... I don't know. All right, let's Whoever move on. Whoever you have in mind, <laughs> somebody needs to interpret your, uh, We're trying your impersonation to, yeah. here. Okay. So, uh, all right, next, three. All right, so three. Two? No, three. Three. Uh, Three is, I haven't got a good way to word the lesson, but it means, you know, in our lives, we need to be fleeing from things and pursuing things, not just one or the other. If you're just running away, you may be running into a a more dangerous thing. Yeah. If you're just chasing something, you may be weak in times of temptation. So think of life and the progress you're making spiritually in terms of fleeing certain things and pursuing other things. We saw two of these examples in 1 Timothy, and now we've run into the third example in yep. 2 Timothy. The first one I'm thinking about is the well-known passage in 1 Timothy 4.12. Yep. Um, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So flee spite over your age and pursue this list of things that he gives. Then yeah. we saw it again in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 11. As for you, O man of God, flee these things, the, the greed and some of the other things he'd been talking about connected to different doctrines. Uh, flee those things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Yeah. Some of the terms are repeated. Some of, them, some of those terms are new. And then now in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Yeah, I think that goes, you know, the verses before that, he talks about, verse 21, he says, anyone, if anyone cleanses himself of what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions. So I yeah, think, he says it, yeah. So he gives the, you know, almost the parable. It's not a parable, but he gives mm-hmm. the illustration of, hey, there are things in a house that are used for good, things in a house used for bad. And if you want to be something good, cleanse yourself of everything dishonorable, and then you will be this worker that is approved, that is set apart by God. Yeah. Now, specifically, realistically, what that means is run away, cleanse yourself from youthful passions, and immerse yourself, the thing you want to reach for, the honorable use that you want to find, you need to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Right. Which was one of the first lessons I ever worked up when I started preaching. Yeah, I gave it during a chapel service at Freed Hardman. I'm very impressed that you can, like I'm just thinking of 
Like, I don't oh. remember lessons that I wrote to teach, like, a year ago. Well, I preached it a few hundred times after oh, that, too. Oh, got it. Um, that makes and sense. I was so incredibly it's nervous. I'm not too. sure that I said what I had planned to say. But no. anyway, that that's not what we're here for. Um, let's end with this beautiful saying that Paul uses in verses 11 through 13. I'm calling it a saying because he calls it a saying, and also it's set out in lines by the English Standard Translation. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Mm. Uh, So we're so short on time. I want to point this out that this might have been a hymn sung in churches, and I wish there was some way that we could hear what that was like. Maybe they chanted it together. You know, maybe it's something that people just said, like we say, speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where the Bible is silent. Maybe this was one of the things that they repeated from their pulpits. Uh, It's so beautiful. Um, First of all, it's interesting of the way he speaks of Christ. He speaks of Christ as someone who is always faithless and cannot deny himself. Only one being in existence cannot deny himself. That's God. He never lies. He cannot deny himself. I can deny myself. I can act in a way that's not fitting to my creation uh, in the image of God. All humans can do that. Uh, God, Angels can do that. God can't do that, so he's calling Christ God. And then the the last thing I wanted to point out about this is just, you know, we're doing everything with him in the first three lines. And actually, it's four things. We die with him. We live with him. We reign with him. Uh, we deny him. He denies us. So we both deny, just we're denying different things. But then we come to the difference, which is the climax of the saying, if we are faithless, this is where we part ways. We're faithless. Christ is not going to go with us into that faithlessness because he remains faithful, and that is because he's God who cannot deny himself. Yeah, so I, it's like beautiful. God has made this covenant with us, and just because we break our end of the covenant doesn't mean that he's going to break his. Yeah, so the lesson there is God, God will never revoke his promises. He will never be faithless to you. He will always be faithful. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The 66. You can find us online in any number of ways. Uh, I'm tired, and I'm not going to go through them on this podcast because we do it every single time. you got Twitter, Facebook, and our website. Yeah, that's, that's what it boils notes. down to. And we have email addresses. And it's fine that nobody ever gives us <laughs> feedback. You know, it's it's okay. But we do what we want you to come See, I was tired and I should have quit talking. What we want you to do is to keep listening. So it would hurt our feelings if you did not join us next time when we discuss 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope that you'll be there. And uh, we'll we'll pick it up next time. Again, I cannot end these these things. What? That's good enough. Yeah. Somebody send us a sign-off tagline. Yes, please. But for now, we'll just Until say... Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>